0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Yes, I Can podcast, where our mission is to inspire and empower you to transform your life and transform the world by being fully, unapologetically, authentically you. I'm your host, Paul Can, and every week we are going to share amazing stories, strategies, and coaching to help you break through your limiting beliefs and supercharge your greatest superpower, the power of you. Your best life awaits. Let's go. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Yes I Can podcast, where our mission is to empower and inspire you to transform your life and transform the world by being fully, unapologetically, authentically you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Paul Can, and I am so excited to have you. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with our experts, and we're gonna be talking about a topic that is really important. It's one that um, literally is in the closet, is in the dark spaces, and we are bringing it all into the light because we get to talk about the power of breaking through shame. And so our expert today, she is an expert and has more than 20 years working as a speech language pathologist, and she's focused on the area of social cognition, and she's passionate about her work which helps individuals connect meaningfully with others and building community, which is so incredibly important today. And she brings the same passion to audiences when she bravely engages in conversations about her own personal trauma story and her healing Spartan race and the tools she has gained that has supported her from going from surviving to thriving. So today, she's dedicated to being a catalyst for the uncomfortable conversations about taboo topics in order to lift the shame and secrecy that surrounds them, and to use her experience to help others. So please help me in welcoming Nancy Barrows. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank
1: you so much, and you know, beautiful intro, and happy to be here, and be able to have a really good conversation and help some people out there, you know, normalize the human experience.
0: Absolutely. And yeah, like, let's, let's really dive into it, you know, and I'd love for you to take us on the journey of, you know, your own personal experience of what really led you to doing the work that you do in the world today, why you're so incredibly passionate about really lifting the shame and the secrecy around our own personal stories and trauma.
1: Sure. So, you know, starting at the end, the whole the passion about getting rid of the secrecy and all of the shame is that we are cheating one another. We're cheating one another of that connection in places that we really need it in those those really scared, vulnerable places. Um, One of the things that sort of sparked this is when I was going through my divorce, I thought I was failing at divorce. Uh, because everybody else who went through it and I don't know where I got my report card, but everyone else I saw go through it looked to be doing it better than me. And I shared that with my best friend who is also divorced and she apologized. She's like, I, I didn't know that you were suffering through this. No, no, no. I was the same people who saw me out. It was a different version, right? So by presenting ourselves as perfect and having it together and knowing it all, we're we're robbing one another of feeling like really validating our experiences and letting us all live a true human experience and 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 stepping into our space fully um as our truest self and not having that shame and judgment about ourselves and you know self-limiting beliefs and the loathing that comes from it. So that's that was the most recent thing. But what has gotten me to that point is you you alluded to that you know my my trauma in my life and I always like to let people who are listening know or watching know that I've lived with this my whole life. So I understand that it's harder to receive than it is for me to share it. So please give yourself permission to react however you want. No self-judgment, just a lot of self-compassion, please. So um, again, uncomfortable topic. And most likely people have not had a conversation like this about this topic. So um, I was sexually abused by my grandfather until I was 16 years old. And At 16 years old, this secret that I held on to as if my life depended on it, because that's exactly how it felt, was unleashed. A mandated reporter, you know, got the paperwork in or reported it to someone who brought it to the authorities and and from being the secret that I guarded that my self-worth and my life depended on, it was out there for everyone to see. You know, discussions of having to testify and, you know, court-ordered therapy, it just was more than I was ready for, uh, by all means. And the first bit of shame, well, I started with shame because of the abuse. Because, you know, why was I special? Why did my body, and now I understand, my body reacted the exact way. My body did everything perfectly. It was just that I didn't want it. Every cell in my body knows sexual touch equals pleasure. But the context under which it came and, and, and that I didn't want it and how it was connected to my experiences was the problem. And so I already had the shame there about the abuse and lots of different beliefs I had about my culpability in it. And then I unleashed the secret and I have shame about bringing this pain to my family. Whereas before this secret was only hurting me and now I saw, I really got to see people hurting, crying and you know, angry and, and just all sorts of emotions running through them. Uh, you know, helplessness even for my parents and my family. I know they were helping me get through something that they were having to go through themselves as well. So I have a lot of respect for them for being able to do that. Um, so there's some shame, and then, you know, at 20 years old, I decided that I was going to confront my grandfather, and I, I made the plans. I did it, and that was the catalyst for my first major depressive episode. Because again, the shame around—I did this very brave thing and nothing changed that was the thought nothing changed because while i was no longer fully responsible it took me a long time to know i wasn't I, I held no responsibility but one party had taken responsibility and nothing changed for me i was still stuck with all of the maladaptive behaviors all the limits that had been put there from from the trauma and from my shame by myself of what i could be who i could be i was convinced i was broken beyond repair, um, that my life would always feel the way it did in that moment, which was pretty helpless and out of control. And certainly there was no joy or fulfillment or anything that even remotely resembled, you know, I don't love the word happy, but happiness, you know, any sort of positive that was coming from my life. Um, in between all of that, I started to punish my body for doing what it did. And I did that in the way of not giving it food. So originally it was, you know, very restrictive eating and became full-blown anorexia. So three things that I got out of that, again, um, control, trying to gain some control over anything because this piece that I had, like I said, I I carefully crafted inside and out was now out there with its own life. I wanted to disappear. I literally just wanted to disappear. And the third piece, like I said, I was angry at my body. My body betrayed me. And it continued to betray me moving forward. So all of this was swirling around. And you can imagine the shame, the self-loathing, the self limiting beliefs, the lack, complete lack of self-compassion. And so there was a lot of work to be done, a lot of work to be done to be able to be here with you and say, yeah, I was sexually abused. Yes, I was anorexic. Yes, I still struggle with depression, but I've done the work. And a lot of the value in my story, I believe, is talking about the ugly middle. You know, we, when you see someone on the other side, it's hard to imagine what it looks like in the middle and, and, and really see the struggle. And so I think being able to discuss those things, honestly, and, and really genuinely, has so much power. And so part of what I'm doing and speaking about my abuse and my experience and things that came after is... Hopefully, again, I use this a lot, normalizing the human experience. You know, the thought of somebody else out there going through this and thinking the thoughts in their head, you know, are wrong and bad and, you know, how they feel is aberrant in any way uh, is heartbreaking to me because I was there. I, I, I was there. And while I'm not tethered to it emotionally anymore, I can connect with that pretty easily. I, I can I can find that place again, and that's the self compassion that has now grown for the woman I was back then. Um, so yeah, there's there, all of this is coming through to a place of I'm very lucky I made it through, and I had the best of a worst situation. A supportive family, they believed in therapy, they could afford therapy, they really were active in the process and making sure that they were okay so that they could support me. And I've gotten to a place where I can speak about it, and I know. Obligation usually sounds like a negative word, but I feel obligated. I feel obligated and compelled to tell my story because I know there is at least one, but I really know there are people out there who benefit from hearing it and maybe get to take a sigh of relief and a little step forward out of the shadows for themselves and begin to, you know, heal and, and feel less alone and less like, you know, who they are is wrong and bad. And again, broken beyond repair. I think people often feel that they're broken beyond repair when they've had these experiences and they've weaved so deeply into who we are. So that's that's where I am now. In the beginning, people were telling me how brave I was and it didn't fit me at all because I'm not scared to tell my story at all. I have no fear or anxiety about that, which is why I know I'm on the right path. But I do understand what people were saying is that even if there are, and there are lots of people who get through it and do well. Not many people are willing to talk about it. It's one of those topics where I'm 48 years old now, and this came out when I was 16, and the needle has not moved at all on sexual abuse. We do talk more about depression, we will talk more about suicide, and we have a far way to go, but no one wants to talk about sexual abuse. There's no room for it. Even the reaction, you hear that someone's depressed or attempted to take their own life, and it's like this compassion response, like, oh gosh, you know, my heart breaks for them or whatever it is. If you overhear a bunch of people talking about sexual abuse, it's like, oh, my God, I don't know what I do. Like, oh, I I would never be able. I I could never handle that. It it doesn't come with compassion. And so one of the places that I am working toward being uh, is I want to be known as the person who changed the narrative who pioneered this, who got other people, men and women out there talking because I'm one person. So I can only reach so many people. This is not something I can do alone. And I've long known my story is bigger than me. And I'm now getting the opportunity to expand my wings and expand my story. And thanks to people like you who, who want to hear it, who want to talk about it, who are comfortable being in the discomfort of it. So I, again, thank you and your audience for giving me that space.
0: Wow. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing your story and your courage and just bravery in being willing to have this uncomfortable conversation and share so intimately about your experience and what you went through and and what it was like for you. So I I really want to just acknowledge you for that because it takes a lot of courage to be able to not only, like you said, do the work, but be willing to share about that. It's incredibly generous to share of yourself and your story uh, because it's, it's yours and, and you don't have to tell it. And you could have, like you said, just done the work and continued on with your life. And yet by you sharing your experience, it's incredibly generous because it, it allows us to not only see you intimately on a whole different level, but you know, it takes another level of leadership to go to that level of vulnerability and to use it in a way that makes an impact. So first of all, thank you so much for that. And you know, when you were sharing your story, I could feel just my heart was just aching because I have 12 nieces and nephews and I have, I have three more on the way actually, and. To think about what you went through and just that pain and afterwards, this sense of, like you were sharing, blame on yourself, that sense of shame, I really felt that just in terms of coming from such a depth of compassion and 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 myself also feeling that ache as you were sharing that. And you're so right in that it is still an inc- it's an incredibly uncomfortable conversation and it's not one that is readily talked about when like you said you talk about the spectrum of different traumas and things that have happened i think talking about sexual abuse and trauma is like this whole other level that not a lot of people and most people are not ready to have that conversation and to really look at it because it is so incredibly uncomfortable so what do you think about that Is what do you think is in the way of people really bringing it out into the open and having this conversation? Because frankly, if everyone was willing to talk about sexual trauma and abuse, there would be no predators, there would be no perpetrators because they would have nowhere to hide. And right now, they are hiding in the shame that I'm just going to say victims, I know they're not victims, but those that have been through this experience feel because it, a lot of them blame themselves. A lot of people think it's on them. It's something dirty about them. Like you said, this, like, why me? And if anything, the attention shifts from us shedding light on, the, on, on those that are creating this trauma instead of, you know, moving it, uh, shifting it towards them so that, you know, they have nowhere to hide. So, you know, what, what do you think just, you know, over your years of now sharing your story and really wanting to make a difference in that space. Like, what about this is still so uncomfortable for people? And what needs to happen for us to really break through this barrier so that this becomes something that is talked about so that we can really eradicate the shame around this conversation?
1: I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad you said that, yeah, if we were teaching our kids about boundaries and their bodies and creating as adults safe space for them to come if something doesn't feel right to them, we would there would be no safe harbor there would be no place for, for people to be abusing because they would be, you know, outed immediately. So that is a big, important thing. And where do we get hung up? I think there's a lot of things. I think, you know, sex is an intimate act and talking about intimate things uh, that have historically been behind closed doors is uncomfortable for people. I don't think we have a comfort with, you know, sex in general to then be able to talk about things that happen around it that are, I mean, wrong and, and you know, hurtful and predatory. The other thing is I think people's minds go to the picture in their head. It's really normal, like imagining this and it's so uncomfortable to put that image with the story and and then have to sort of be with it if you're going to have the conversation. So again, I think the willingness to be uncomfortable is part of what has to happen. Our willingness to discuss things that, you know, we've, we have not historically been comfortable discussing needs to happen. And that's about a lot of things you know, if we were talking about a lot of the taboo topics and willing to sit with our discomfort, so we'd be in a very different place around them. So yes, I think that there is pe- everybody's own discomfort with these closed door issues, especially like sex. Again, it's, it's it's private, you don't talk about it. You don't share it with anyone else other than but your partner in that room, right? So that is a big piece. And I, I think we, we need to get more comfortable talking about sex just in general, because there's a lot of shame around that too. You know, you were talking about how things move away from the victim, which I don't like that word either. I like to say like, I have a history of sexual abuse. So someone who has experienced sexual abuse They're also met, unlike lots of other crimes and traumas, with doubt. Mm. You know, okay, but why didn't you say no? You let it go on to you were 16 years old. You know, well, why would you ever let yourself be alone? Why did you not tell anyone? You know, there's so much of our own shame that's hurled back at us. A lot of times I hear more stories of people who either did not tell anyone or when they did were basically told to shut up. Mm. you know, and, and, and words, not sometimes those words, but other words, like we're not talking about this. It did not happen. And so unfortunately, which is
0: worse, if anything, like the, the the pretending it didn't happen and making it as if they made it up is even worse for those that have gone through it because you're completely invalidating their entire Mm -hmm. experience, which happens a lot because it's really, the person, like you said, that is this receiving it is, is it's their own stuff being reflected back to them, their own level of being uncomfortable, which I don't even think they realize ends up creating more damage than they right. know, especially for children, just for the people closest to them to not believe in them is one of the worst things you can really do. And I think it's really important to talk about around what, 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 you should not say how to not handle if someone comes to you around something like this, as uncomfortable as you are to really invalidate someone's experience by pretending it didn't happen.
1: Absolutely. I mean, invalidating someone's experience and breaking their trust another time. So you've got someone who's breaking their trust in terms of you know va- violating their boundaries in their body. And then they get the courage to go tell someone about it. And that person breaks trust and invalidates them they have nowhere to go.
0: Mm.
1: Where do they go? Uh, and that's why so many people who have had these types of traumatic experiences end up, you know, with addictions trying to escape and, and live in a world where they, they're, there's no safe place for them, right? They can't tell their story because based on the evidence, it's going to be met with, you know, it's going to be met in a way that makes it worse than the the thing happening in the first place. Mm. And so that's, that's a really dangerous dynamic, like you said, you know, how do we receive it? I think, you know, if we move towards curiosity over judgment and compassion over knowing, that's a good place to start. Because if a child comes to you, again, I don't care what happened if it made them uncomfortable. It could have been, you know, someone touched their shoulder and it made them uncomfortable. Something about it made them uncomfortable. It could have crossed boundaries that, you know, really made them uncomfortable. And, you know, nine out of 10 people would agree that, yes, that's wrong, you know, kind of thing. Um, But ultimately, we, we have to be able to create and hold space for other people's experiences. And when a child comes to you, your job is not to judge it. Your job is to hold it, validate what they're going through. Let them know you're with them. Like, wow, yeah, that that sounds like it would be uncomfortable or, you know, that sounds like it would feel really scary at, you know, in the moment. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you told me so I can, you know, help. I can, you know, whatever it is you want to use. So, so that you're not alone and we're going to take care of this, you know? So immediately saying, and, and showing that love, like you're not, unfortunately you might be rejecting people, May be rejecting the experience, but in doing so they're rejecting the person.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And unless you've done a
1: lot of work, you are not separate from your experience at that point. Um, and so you are rejecting that person. And so making sure you validate, let them know they're safe, let them know their love, let them know it changes nothing. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. You know, what what's we're gonna do this together kind of thing. And I I'm a big believer. Um, I cry publicly all the time. That's that's whatever, that's about me. But when I'm having hurt feelings about someone else's experience, I often, like my, my saying is I get to cry in the shower or cry in the closet, you know, because my, my experience of receiving it potentially could be damaging to the other person. Mm. You know, a lot of times people look at me and they're like, and I understand that. And I have so much compassion for that because the little girl inside of me says, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, the woman I am now, it's sort of like, for a while I was like, I don't want to be pitied. I don't want to be pitied. But that's not what it's about, right? We're all having our own experience. But to be mindful of how your expression of your experience may impact the other person, I think is 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 in life. I mean, just in life, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt and 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 believing the best in people. Again, you know, something comes out wrong. I don't think someone meant to hurt me, but I'm also in a place where I can see, know, and feel that. And if I was not where I am now, it would feel very different to me.
0: Yeah. I love what you said there just around really being conscious of how we are creating space and how, and how we show up and react really matters. And what, as you were describing that, what was coming up for me is that often We are creating this vicious vicious cycle of shame from how we react. Because when someone, like you said, works up the courage, which already takes a lot to really work up the courage to share something so deeply traumatic with somebody that they love and trust, and the reaction that they get from that particular person can either continue to perpetuate the shame or it can dissipate it. And that really
1: sets the tone for how they move forward.
0: Absolutely. And I think overall, going back to what you had brought up a little while ago, just around the shame that we have around sex, I know growing up for me, um, and I think this is quite, um, I'd say, um, prevalent with immigrant families, is we don't really talk about sex. Like it was this super taboo topic my parents never mentioned it. It was extremely uncomfortable. And like you said, now placing something like sexual trauma or abuse on top of that adds like a, it's like a whole other layer of shames, a whole other layer of you know conversations of like, how do you even approach that when you can't even talk about sex in general? And yet we live in a society and a culture that where sex is everywhere. When you think about media, when you think about you know movies when you think about just like celebrity culture it's something that is is celebrated and all over the place yet there is still so much shame around mm-hmm. that and if anything it continues to build this vicious cycle of like you know yes it's everywhere but at the same time don't talk about it and at the same time you know oh it's uncomfortable like if it comes up in one on one conversations yeah, we can sing and we can rap about it which is like the right, really right and we can watch it on
1: a huge screen with you know what 150 of our favorite strangers, you know, like, and and yet you're right. We can't have the conversation. I mean, sex is a commodity here. It's selling it's all that, but we, we just have a huge block as a society. It's like, you're shamed. If you talk about sex, you know, again, that shame again, but even if you are someone who talks about it and depending on where you are and the people you're with, the different labels that come up are, are enough to sort of silence the voices of people who are willing to have the conversation. And that's my thing is like, I'm dedicated to it. I'm not going to be derailed. I am so rooted in my core and my beliefs and my integrity that I can, in this point in my life, accept people saying things that are negative about my experience. And I can see why they might say that because of their discomfort. Um, Those people need to hear it maybe even more. Mm than the people who are not pushing back against it. There's a lot around it. And again, you, the shame, the cycle of shame, people who react poorly to receiving this information, you know, as they come to understand it, hopefully that's the path they go on. They have a lot of shame about how they received it and how they reacted and how they responded to someone who came to them in that vulnerable moment. Um, so it's a really hard one there are so many layers on this before we're going to be able to talk about it openly and honestly. And people ask questions. I always say, like, I'm open to you asking questions. Don't go to Google. Like the, come to me, you know, you, you, I'm, I, there's to me, no value in me discussing the gory details, so to speak, but the experiences, the feelings, the things that are sort of universal um, to having been a person who, you know, has this history and has, you know, has had the many snotty, ugly, fall asleep on the floor, crying yourself to sleep, you know, moments of saying, yeah, I really understand.
0: Mm.
1: I really get it.
0: And I think often we're scared to say the wrong thing as well. Mm. And we end up not saying anything or there is this silence around it. And I think going back to um, last year, this happened quite a bit when the whole Black Lives Matter movement was happening. There was a lot of people that were saying, I, "I I don't really know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing, so don't say anything at all." And I think that we can't possibly move past and have a di- like we can't possibly move past this sense of shame, like you said, in the sense of wanting to get it wrong, unless we're willing to put ourselves out there and and have the conversation, be willing to get messy, be willing to to screw it up and at the same time come from a place where you're completely authentic about it where it's like, hey, look, like I actually don't really know exactly what to say in this moment. Right. I I have so much love and compassion for you. I don't want to say it wrong. Like, you know, would you be open, you know, if if we have a conversation about it and I might stumble over my words and my questions, but you know, I just want to let you know around my tension and my intention is coming from this place. Instead of just like running away from it altogether, we get to really lean in to these Mm -hmm. conversations because before we can eradicate something like this happening, continuing to happen, we get to get to the very core of where we are uncomfortable and break through that and start having more and more conversations. Because what I found is that we're often in this fix it, culture as well, which is, I'm sure setting. you get a lot of questions like, like, why didn't you do this? So why did you let that happen? It's this almost like we go right to this like solution oriented, well, if this happened, this wouldn't have happened. And we're right. trying to justify and trying to, you know, kind of figure things out in our head. And we're so used to fixing things that we're not actually stopping and just allowing ourselves to be in the uncomfortable of what is and be willing to work through that instead of needing to fix it.
1: Right and I, that's an important one because it's not something anyone can fix. No one person is going to fix it for no one person one person could fix it for me. I mean, I had people who loved me fiercely and if they could have they would have. I mean, absolutely without a doubt. And I think, like, what you're saying is the fear of saying something wrong. We both have to have compassion for one another. If you get it wrong, but I know that you're coming from a place of caring and trying to figure out how to support and understand, I have to have grace for that as well. But just being able to be, you know, when you were talking about that, I think like sitting there in your discomfort and just saying, I'm here, and just sitting and being, you don't have to do. You know, you just can be the other, the other thing is, is to say, I'm here, right? I'm here. Do you, do you have any idea of what you need in this moment? Is there a way I could support you now? I like that one. I offer that to other people all the time. Is there a way you can think that I could support you now in this moment? And sometimes they don't, you know, lots of us don't in that moment know what we need, but just knowing that we have someone there for us and willing is a huge comfort. That's a huge gift we can give one another. Because when people move away because of their discomfort, like you're talking about, they, they clam up or they move away. Unfortunately, for the person who shared, again, that's a rejection. Mm. And if we could get to the logical point of saying, no, I know it's about you and not about me, that would be beautiful. But in the moment when you are real vulnerable, um, your mind's not in the picture. You're, you're all heart. You're all feelings. Mm. And so you're going to respond to things. It's going to be translated through those mechanisms. And that, you know, often leads to feeling rejected, angry, disappointed. I mean, all sorts of things. And so while it may not be the intent, we, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And my thing is like, how uncomfortable do you think it was for me for 16 years? Right. It was really uncomfortable for me for 16 years because not only what was going on was going on. I presented to the world as there was no reason to look at me twice captain of the volleyball team, president of my class, you know, good grades, you know, volunteer work, the whole thing in high school so that nobody had a reason to look at me twice. So I was always living in pain. You know, I I always had this part of me that wasn't really me and friendships and relationships and, and things could only go so far. So I endured that discomfort and I don't want anyone else to have to go through it, which is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But to other people and I've had this conversation with family cuz now that I'm talking more they are really proud of me. They support me, but in the beginning they wanted to watch but didn't know if they could because they were so uncomfortable. And I said, "Hey, if we can't do it, who's going to? Can you tolerate that discomfort? Can you put yourself in that spot and and just be?" And so even a family who's gone through it, you know, had misgivings in the beginning and a lot of discomfort around okay we can hear this and we can support you and it will make us uncomfortable but you're worth tolerating that the outcome of what you're doing is worth tolerating that and waiting for the shift we do it in all other areas right we will sit with our feeling and wait for the shift right and then we've had that moment of growth around this especially again sex Sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual trauma, especially when you're talking about a child, um, there's a lot of discomfort. Mm. You know, are you willing to tolerate it for a bit until you get a little shift? It's, it may not be huge, but a little shift. One of the things that I do, and I did in therapy, and I still have it here, my compassion goes to this girl. That's little me. She wasn't 48 years old. She didn't have the wisdom. She didn't have the tools. She didn't have the experience. She did whatever she could to survive, not knowing how to, and with the beauty of her brain, knowing its tricks, you know, made it through. And so, you know, if someone comes to you when they're young, think about the fact that why didn't I tell? I didn't have the tools. It never occurred to me to tell. Never once. That was not an option to me. You know, and when I come out and tell people as an adult, that question even gets sort of weightier. Why didn't you tell? Well, because you're talking to me as an adult. The person who who experienced this, especially when it started, she, she didn't have a voice. She didn't have the tools. She didn't have the options. So why didn't I tell her, you know, how come this again? keep in mind, and I think this is another thing that um, people with a history of abuse, sexual abuse run into, I've done a lot of freaking work around this, mm. a lot of work around. It. I did not get here easily. I did not come linearly to this point. I did not always step forward in the process. you know and and the reality that wellness, mental, physical, wellness, whatever it is around this that you've shed, Wellness is not a place you arrive and you get a certificate and you hang it on the wall. Right. It's 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 a constant everyday thing for all of us. But for me to even get to the starting line, I had like I call it a Spartan race. A journey sounds too pretty and like birds and trees and flower. Like it just doesn't sound like what I went through. A Spartan race, pushing myself to the limits, getting dirty, getting back up, you know, stopping and pausing and resting before I can go forward again, you know, before I could even go forward again, having that compassion for myself where the places I couldn't go yet. So I think that's the other really important thing in all of this is I want credit for the work I have done. And just because I can talk about it easily doesn't mean it wasn't without work. And the credit for the work is not for me. The credit for the work is the people who are still in it. who are still pushing to get to this point. I would have hated me when I was going through it. Right. Oh, She's got her she's got herself together and she's totally fine and she's so pricky and positive, and which is why I do spend time talking about the ugly, you know, in, in, in conversations when that's where we go, we can talk about the really ugly. You know, I didn't want to exist. I would go to bed at night and ask the universe if there's someone tomorrow that's going to get a terminal diagnosis, give it to me. They wanna live, they wanna be in this world. Don't do that to them, do it to me. You know, so. This pretty person at the end still, again, has hard days. I absolutely do, and I, I, I try to be really honest about them. I've posted videos and pictures. I don't know where the habit came from, but I take pictures of myself when I cry. And actually, it allows me to have a lot of compassion for myself when I see it from the outside. So often, I'll share those. Again, we, we're all human. There's an experience that we're meant to have, a connectedness that we're meant to have, and a place where we show up exactly as who we are. And if we could all do that, have permission to do it, a lot of things do change.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I just was coming up for me as you were sharing this is that, first of all, this is a lot more common than most people think in terms of sexual abuse. I always say-
1: yeah. Oh, like people will be like I don't know I don't know anyone who's been abused you do you know many
0: people <laughs> just yeah, haven't you, do. told you, you. Just don't know right you just don't know you right know, exactly. yeah mm-hmm. and you know and and I and I can completely understand that you know and it's I think back to my own journey around coming out as a transgender man and a lot of people around me often would have this narrative of like, I don't really know anyone that's transgender. Like, I don't know. Like it's just almost like elusive uh, people out there. (laughs) We're in the cubicle next to you. We are, you know, in the lunchroom, we are shopping in the clothes rack next to you. You know, we are grabbing a coffee behind you. There are people around you everywhere that have gone through these experiences. You just don't know about it. And just because you don't know doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And with that said, what, also came up for me as you were sharing is not only that we get to have compassion for people like you said that are going through it and not look at as a hey like look at Nancy and how she's dealing with it like you should deal with it as gracefully because like you said it's been a journey that has been many many ups and downs and, and mountains and valleys mm-hmm. and at the same time i think as a humanity we get to be willing to sit in the uncomfortableness. We are so accustomed to quick fixes. We are so accustomed to getting rid of the discomfort really easily. Like we just numb things so much nowadays. You think about, I'm just going to turn on Netflix. I'm going to turn on TikTok. I'm going to
1: scroll. Yes, lots (laughs) of great
0: escapes around. If something is even slightly uncomfortable, we Mm want to have this instantaneous solution that's going to get rid of it. So we can go back to this like land where everything is great and we don't have to deal with the uncomfortable things. But then I encourage our listeners as you're sharing your story, Nancy, and we're talking about this to challenge yourself. And I invite you to be willing to sit in, in the uncomfortable because it's really in the uncomfortable where we can really experience all the things in it. And from that space, be willing to do something about it, be willing to create change. Because change does not come from comfort. Change comes from being so uncomfortable where we're at that it that it pushes us forward to do something about it, to change it, to transform it, whatever it gets to look like. And that's where we get to go as a humanity. There are so many aspects, these things that we have kept in the closet, whether it's around trauma or sexual trauma and abuse and you know different things that We all actually have a lot in common with, but have not brought out into the open to share. And the more willing we're to, we're willing to sit in the uncomfortableness, the more that we can have compassion for each other where we're at. And as a collective, really move forward in changing it and doing something about it, because this is not going to go away. This is not going to go away unless we choose to take a stand. For it. Yes.
1: No, I would further encourage your viewers to be brave, mm. find the right person. Don't just walk up to a stranger on the street, find the right person and show up a little more authentically than you did the last time. Share something that's maybe just a little scary to put out there. Again, be, be careful because I don't want you to be received in a way that is is damaging in any way, but You know, even that question that people like to ask us, how are you doing? How are you? An answer of I'm struggling, but I'm okay. You know, I'm still standing, you know, that hints at that not everything's okay. Or if you can actually out and out say like, no, today's not a good day. You know, it's been a couple of days where it's not been so great. I'm having trouble focusing on the positive. I'm having trouble showing up to the things I need to show up to. I'm feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulder. There's so many opportunities in a day for us to try this on in small ways that we start to gather evidence for why this is so important to do and how empowering it is. You know, going to vulnerable, a lot of people think of being weak, right? And exposed. And there is a bit to that. But when you reveal your secrets, it's empowering. I'm saying secrets. But, you know, your truth that you've kept from people, it's empowering. It is, it takes it diffuses them a bit. They're not as powerful. Um, It's freeing. It's, so I was going to say, when I find, and I've been good with this for, for a while and not to say that different things don't creep back into my life. Like I said, it's not a, it's no certificate on the wall kind of thing. But I finally came out with my story. This was just November 21st, 2020. And I was, you know, doing a show and was talking about childhood trauma, my childhood trauma, my childhood. And like, in the moment I went, you're part of the problem. Say the words, say the words out loud. And I did. And that was the first time I'd ever publicly disclosed my abuse. I had talked to people in my life about it, but I was ready. Like you said, the discomfort around it and keeping it a secret was so great that I had no other choice. The discomfort in knowing that I was part of the problem, like I was perpetuating it was intolerable. So I didn't have quote unquote a choice it was told and it surprisingly lifted so much weight off of me that I didn't even know I was carrying at that point. Cause I'm pretty open about it. Right. That's generally I have been, but even just that one piece was enough. Hi. Was enough to tether part of me to the ground and anchor me stuck where I was, you know, and that, Again, the little ways you can do it, no one's saying you have to shout everything you've kept inside of you from the rooftops. Um, It's not how this works, but if you can push to do that thing that's uncomfortable and that gives us opportunities as the receivers to sit with the discomfort and we can do it together.
0: I think that's, such a beautiful way to really bring together and tie together our conversation. And like you said, it really starts with flexing the muscle a little bit at a time. It is not something that we can just take a massive leap in. It requires a little bit of courage, a little bit of courage each time to be vulnerable, be authentic. And so, you know, thank you so much, Nancy, for your authenticity, your incredible vulnerability and courage and strength in having this uncomfortable conversation with us and be willing to be so generous to share your story with us and the work that you're doing in the world. And I just really appreciate you. And, and it's just so honored that you're sharing this with our audience and um, you know, for our uh, audience and our listeners that really want to learn more about you and the work that you're up to, where can they find you?
1: Okay, so because I work in public school education as a speech language pathologist, I'm going to apologize in advance for all the different versions of my name that are out there. (laughs) But on LinkedIn, I'm Nancy Barrows, and there's a bunch of letters after my name. So if there's more than one of me out there, I'm the one with the whole alphabet soup afterwards. Um, You can find me at vibing underscore with underscore Nancy. It's actually on on both Facebook and LinkedIn, but sometimes people people find it easier to find me as Nancy Debra, D-E-B-R-A. And my email is pretty much my name. You're welcome to email me. Your audience is more than welcome to. And when they do reach out, put that they saw me here. You know, I'll, I'll know where you're coming from and the discussion that you heard and, the you know, sort of what you already know. Um, and, and we can go from there. But my email is nancy.d, as in Debra, dot Barrows at gmail.com and every Thursday night at five 30 Pacific, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, I am a co-host of a show called the Island of Misfit Toys, which is a new development. And I'm actually in the process of developing a show that may go live for the first time tonight. Um, that is all about talking about, you know, "Quote unquote secrets—the things that were are too uncomfortable to talk about." So it's been a real privilege for me to be asked to have have been asked to do that. And yeah, I would love for everyone to show up and you know engage in the comments on both shows. Want to hear from you? Want to give you a voice? Want to give you space? So yeah, those are the ways you can find me. Smoke signals probably work too, but I don't know exactly what those look like.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for the work that you're doing for sharing your story so incredibly openly and authentically with us. I just so appreciate you and the work that you're up to. And thank you once again for your generosity and being a part of the podcast once again. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And thank you to you and your audience for receiving me and welcoming me um, in such a beautiful way.
0: Your son. and for
1: welcoming like, Pat, apparently she needs to be part of it
0: <laughs> that's that's pretty typical nowadays we have mm-hmm. lots of different guests <laughs>
1: authenticity and realness this that's is, right <laughs> so, yeah, it's happening right here
0: awesome well thank you so much Nancy and to our audience thank you so much for joining us once again and until next time keep being fully unapologetically authentically you we'll see you next time The Yes I Can podcast is directed by Paul Kan. Executive producers of the podcast are Paul Kan, Chelsea Lin, and Joy Sauce.